You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. From the author of the book by the same name, it's The Best Saturdays of Our Lives Podcast with Mark McRae. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sci-Fi Where You Least Expected panel. My name is Mark McRae, and I'm with... Dan Klink. We're both co-hosts of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast, here presenting our panel at the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. As Mark just said, Sci-Fi Where You Least Expect It. Uh, Mark, if you could give our audience a little idea of what that means. What Dan and I have done, we've gathered a bunch of Saturday morning shows from the past and took another look at a lot of the programming and realized that a lot of these Saturday morning shows had science fiction angles or science fiction storylines that were part of the story. So we're going to take a, a snapshot at what some of those programs are, and I guarantee you that you're really going to be surprised by our selections. And uh, we are going to be able to justify a lot of these shows as well. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So get ready for a cool ride. We begin with The Great Kazoo. Uh, He was introduced in season six of The Flintstones, episode seven from uh, that originally aired October 29th, 1965, written by Joanna Lee. Joanna Lee is an interesting person, a sort of forgotten person um, in television history. She was one of the few female writers working in the industry at the time. Um, She was also a part-time actor. Uh, Kazoo was voiced by the awesome, awesome Harvey Corman. Right. Who I who I just recently watched <laughs> in Blazing Saddles. Um, he's such a comedic genius. Yes, yes, indeed, yes, indeed. Love him on the Carol Burnett show. Now, Gazoo is tasked with doing good deeds for simple-minded cavemen who will never understand his greatness. Gazoo isn't thrilled that he's been sent through time and space to a prehistoric Earth. He compensates his ego by calling Fred and Barney dum dums constantly. I know the feeling. Right. That I mean, I, I know the feeling of being called a dum-dum, that is. Yeah. <laughs> the great scientific kazoo? All right. So here's our argument. Kazoo is banished for a scientific experiment gone wrong. Kazoo crashed lands on a prehistoric Earth in a rocket ship. Why didn't he just use magic, right? That wasn't going to happen. Scientific technology was utilized to send Kazoo back in time to the prehistoric age. So it's established early on that Kazoo was definitely from the future. And so science was needed to get Kazoo to the prehistoric age, which means that probably a lot of things that Kazoo is doing is maybe scientific. Oh, yeah. I mean, what's more science fiction than a rocket ship, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. All right. Heathcliff and the Cadillac Cats from 1984. As the name implies, Riff Raff and the Cadillac Cats own a red and white Cadillac that transforms, among other things, into a motorboat and camper. When the Cadillac is in camper mode, other parts of the vehicle conveniently (laughs) vanish and are replaced by other camping amenities. 
In fact, one of the episodes, the Cadillac even transforms into a submarine. I mean, what's more what's more sci-fi than uh, than a transforming vehicle? You know, we got Robotech, we got Transformers, we have Heathcliff and the Cadillac Cats. Right. You know, the Cadillac Cats were doing their own thing, and they had all this technology, and they were able to work on the technology. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dan. Didn't you mention that there was a lot of maintenance going on with that Cadillac that the it, cats did themselves? Yeah, they're always under the hood with a can of oil and a wrench banging on something or the other or another yeah 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 that's pretty cool that's yeah. pretty cool I, I think if the cadillac cats had uh had become much more popular and and a movie had been made it would have been cool to see how the cadillac cats got a hold of this technology as well as how they were trained how to to maintain the technology oh totally you know? it would be a total prequel that would involve battle droids and uh, the taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems. And we'll find out the origin of, uh, of Heathcliff, who later grows up to be uh, Garfield, evil Garfield. <laughs> you know, one thing, I mean, uh, you know, we do indeed have cars that transform into boats. That is the thing. If you know the yes. right Italian auto dealer, you could probably find one. But in terms of cost... I'm still going to say that the the car boat is still very much, for most of us, solidly within the realm of science fiction. Oh, for sure. For sure. Definitely. All right. Moving on. Our next candidate for science fiction we least expected comes from the world of Jem. Truly outrageous. 1985. Jem was created by Christy Marks. Jem was co-produced by Hasbro, Sumbo, and Marvel Production. And Christy Marks, like Joanna Lee that I mentioned earlier, uh, was, uh, you know, one of the few female uh, writers working in the industry at the time. So Christy Marks also worked on G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, and uh, rose through the ranks. And uh, was able to create this female-driven rock star series in the midst of G.I. Joe, Transformers, Thundercats, and uh, He-Man. Jim was sort of the lone wolf of the pack when it came to, you know, female-driven afternoon animation. The series is heavily influenced by MTV in the music video era. The storyline is, upon the death of her father, Jerrica Benton inherits starlight music and hologram technology that can be used to transform Jem and into her alter ego, singer and leader of the holograms. The hologram technology, Synergy, was designed to be the ultimate music synthesizer. Synergy can be remote controlled by microprojectors in Jerrica's earrings. The hologram technology also allows Jem to project holograms to avoid danger, as well as provide special effects when performing with her group. Now, I don't know how many of you out there are familiar with the uh, Macross or Macross series in Japan. Uh, sometime in the uh, mid-90s, Macross Plus, it was a film and OVA, the main antagonist, Sharon Apple, was very much, if you were to fuse, Jem and AI. So... Boom. Science fiction. Gem. Right there. <laughs> and we have more evidence with the science fiction connection. Yeah. I mean, if it were up to us, this entire festival would be nothing but uh, fan films all centered around Gem. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, this may be a bit of a stretch, but it's it's cool that Gem is not only employing these sci-fi elements, but the very persona of Gem, to me, seems to be derivative 
uh, of David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust character, kind of a an, an 80s update, which unto itself was a sci-fi persona. So Jem is operating on all levels. Of sci-fi. Of sci-fi, <laughs> that's right. All right, moving on. We have Fonz and the Happy Days Gang from 1981. Fonzie, Richie, and Ralph are visited by Cupcake, a girl from the future, as the open, you know, also uh, showed. Fonzie repairs Cupcake's malfunctioning time machine, but an accident damages the craft, and the entire cast is lost in time. Traveling to different time periods, the gang attempts to find their way home back to Milwaukee, 1957. I mean, couldn't they just, like, show up in, uh, like, Chicago? 1957 or Los Angeles or Hong Kong or anywhere else, but I'm not talking Milwaukee. Hey, for all of our fans out there, Milwaukee's all right, right on. <laughs> but I mean, really, they could, they could have, it's like if, if you were to like say land in Rio de Janeiro, 1957, you could take a plane, a boat, a bus. Right. I don't yeah, know why they had to be I mean, so picky. I, yeah. I mean, all those things could have been uh, pretty cool. You know, it's like, well, since we're in the time machine, why not go to other places around the world? You know, I mean, right, right. But I, I guess that the time machine just was so unpredictable that they couldn't even stay in the same year and go around the world. Well, it's kind know? of the same situation, similar to Bill and Ted and Quantum Leap. It was kind of a pre-runner uh, to to those those ideas. Right, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's also featured in the open. (laughs) Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Hello, everyone. Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. (laughs) Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Next up is another surprise, the Gummy Bears from 1984. Uh, Yeah, so magic and mystery are part of their history as well as science fiction. As the narrative goes, our heroes are but a mere remnant of the Great Gummy Civilization. Uh, Much like Tolkien's elves, the Great Gummies departed the world of man by sailing west, but not without leaving a means to be contacted. Sharing characteristics with the hyperpulse generators used in FAS's Battletech series of games and novels, the Gummy Scope utilized light to send transmissions through laser-like energy pulses, If the gummy scope fell into the wrong hands, it could be used as a powerful weapon capable of destroying an entire kingdom. You may be thinking it's a bit of a stretch. Battletech, gummy bears, laser communication. Um, I don't. I was actually rather Hmm. proud when I made that connection. And I was explaining this to a friend of mine the other night. And the first thing he said when I explained the gummy scope, he instantly went to hyperpulse generators. So to all of our uh, mid-80s, Tabletop and roleplay fans out there, who loves you, baby? <laughs> the Electromagnet. All right. So uh, the Electromagnet has a pretty interesting history. It's mentioned in Son of Godzilla uh, from 1967, but actually makes an appearance in the James Bond film, You Only Live Twice, also from 1967. And the Electromagnet is used against the Assassin's trying to kill 007. 
In the Josie and the Pussycats episodes, Chili Today and Hot Tamale, a play on words there, the villain, the Scorpion, uses the electromagnet against those meddling kids. The anti-gravity device, um, again, um, technology uh, being used on Saturday morning as well, but here's a short history. So the Black Widow tries to steal an anti-gravity ray from Iron Man in Tales of Suspense, number 53, from 1964. So just a quick background on the Black Widow. Uh, originally, her character was a Russian spy that was always trying to steal American technology. Later in the Marvel stories, she would become a good person and she would defect to the West, as they say, and adapt the new costume and, you know, eventually join the Avengers. The anti-gravity device is also mentioned in the Season 5, Episode 15, Twilight Zone episode, titled The Long Morrow, also from 1964. And finally, in a Josie and the Pussycats episode, Never Mind a Mastermind, Josie and her friends must stop the mastermind from stealing an anti-gravity device. They also sort of borrowed from the Mission Impossible, a series where the main character would get his instructions on a tape recording, and then the uh, tape recording would say, this tape will self-destruct in 10 seconds. But for Josie and her friends, for comedic purposes, it self-destructed <laughs> much sooner. <laughs> and that background music was swinging. Oh, yeah. Ted Nichols wrote all of the background music for Josie and the Pussycats, and they sampled a lot of his other music cues from other Hanna-Barbera shows. And I feel like the music background scoring featured on Josie is, is Ted Nichols' best work. Right. Moving on. Uh, the Boondocks. Now, anyone familiar with tabletop gaming over the last 30-plus years, and God knows I am, has heard of Warhammer 40,000, and in the grim darkness of the 41st millennium, there is only war. But what about the fictional yet contemporary suburb of Woodcrest? In 40K, soldiers employ terrible weapons, one of the most popular being the Power Fist. All right, the mysterious cities of gold. So this is one that got by me uh, when I was growing up. Okay, I was already grown when this show was uh, originally came out. But I mean, I, I wasn't going to say it, but you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Dan turned me on to this show, and uh, it is just really, really great. But just a quick background. It is indeed the 16th century. At first glance, this show appears to follow the exploits of Spanish conquistadors in their conquest of the New World. However... Not long into the series, we find that South America was once home to a highly technologically advanced Atlantis-like civilization who had mastered flight and a higher level of global warfare by harnessing the raw power of the sun. As the show progresses, it is even revealed that the ancient culture known as the Olmecs are actually aliens, some of whom are still on Earth and up to no good. Right in the beginning of the opening that as we push in towards South America, we begin just outside of the large Magellanic Cloud, one of the dwarf galaxies that orbits the Milky Way, uh, named after Ferdinand Magellan, only visible from the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, Magellan plays thematically a pretty significant role in the show. So that that kind of level of, of attention and deference to astronomy I, I feel gives it just that extra kick. 
DragonCon 2021 is scheduled for Labor Day weekend, and whether it's an in-person event or once again goes virtual, the DragonCon Report podcast crew will cover the con right up to the big event. So sit back with your bucket of brown, dragon's mead, apple pie, or whatever your beverage of choice, and tune in to the latest news, notes, interviews, discussions, and even a dragon tale or two on the DragonCon Report, a proud member of the ESO Network. Check us out at dragonconreport.com. What we do have time to talk about again is the Great Kazoo and the Q Connection. Oh, yeah, that's right. I thought we got away from Kazoo. No, we're, we're circling back. Right. Here's, here's some more evidence if you weren't exactly blown over the first time. Kazoo makes his appearance on The Flintstones in 1965 while Star Trek premiered in 66. Trek had a tradition of pitting the crew against godlike beings, culminating with the character Q. Like Gazoo, Q comes to both challenge and judge from a position easily perceived as magic, but we find out both are actually aliens hailing from civilizations so advanced, their powers are easily mistaken for sorcery. Q and Kazoo, brothers from another mother? Ha ha ha. and Q can materialize and dematerialize objects, teleport, freeze frame, and travel through time. Kazoo and Q can render themselves invisible so that only certain people see them. And a good example of that is Q is invisible to certain crew members in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Episode 7, Q-less. Kazoo and Q treat humans as though they are lower life forms. Yeah. And and let's face it, they are lower life forms. I mean, in, in these scenarios. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it was like every third episode of Star Trek, the original series, they ran into quote unquote God. Right. Right. I, um just it was just it was just seemed the you know, but somehow Kirk and the crew managed to come through. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. And then, you know, I think eventually we end up with Star Trek five. But uh <laughs> that's that's another story. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. I think what Mark and I are saying here is that uh, all of Star Trek is purely derived from the Flintstones. No Gazoo, <laughs> no Fred and Barney, no Star Trek. Go ahead and uh, shoot us an email. Fight us. <laughs> yeah, everything that Dan said. <laughs> Do you like podcasts? Then you're going to hate Thunder Talk. Tasteless subject matter. Mature humor. Contempt for our co-hosts. Unapologetic social views. Edgy music. And total irreverence for the nerd junk we love. Are all reasons why. No one. No one. No one should listen to Thunder Talk. Find us on the ESO Network. And all podcasting platforms. Or don't. Whatever. those hidden ideas and strategies for you. That's right. That's right. Uh, Best Setters of Our Lives podcast is a proud member of the ESO Network. Also, a proud member of the ESO Network is our other show, Thunder Talk, where we, well, we talk about everything else. Uh, Mark and I co-host that, along with uh, Beth and Kavika Allo, Adam Weston, uh, JT Wheatley. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, if, 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 Best Saturdays is the 8 o'clock show. Thunder Talk is definitely the 11 o'clock. It gets a little blue. <laughs> definitely mature content. Well, it, it, if you want to hear Mark and I cuss, 
about uh, <laughs> everything, including occasionally Saturday morning cartoons. Check out Thunder Talk. Yeah, and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that if you like everything that you heard today, this is where everything sort of originated from, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives book. This book talks about how Saturday morning became a competitive business and the proving ground to what would become the 24-Hour Kids Networks. As Dan had mentioned earlier, like in our podcast, this book talks about scheduling wars and strategy and uh, studios that were at each other's throats and, and rivalry. And so if you order, you can go to my website, it's tbsol.com, and if you order a copy of the book, I will uh, send you a signed copy, and I will also include uh, Best Saturdays of Our Lives magnet, as well as some Best Saturdays of Our Lives uh, stickers. It's a great read and uh, has a lot of inside information that you can't read anywhere else. Yes, indeed. There would be no podcast, there would be no this presentation without this book everybody go get it get to get the t-shirt it's tbsool.com buy the book boom <laughs> the best saturdays of our lives podcast is a co-production of the best saturdays of our lives studios and the weirdos workshop to get a personalized signed copy of the best saturdays of our lives book go to the best Saturdays of our lives.com. This is Mark McRae signing off. This has been a broadcast of the ESO network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the T public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO network. Your station for all things geek.